0: Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This week we've got the 1966 Sergio Corbucci Italian-Western Django, as well as the 1991 direct-to-video David Dakota classic Puppet Master 3 Toulon's Revenge. (laughs) I'm your host Patrick, and as usual I am joined by... Jim,
1: hello everybody, hello Patrick, how are you pal?
0: I'm great. We're we're talking about uh, two pretty enjoyable movies, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd say so. First time watch for both of them for you?
1: Yes. Now, with something like Django, I have known that it's existed for a long time. I have understood the references in other media. Sure. The only other thing I knew about it and Sergio Corbucci is that it and Corbucci are... Favorites of Quentin Tarantino's, and there were lots of references to it in Once Upon a Time mm-hmm. in Hollywood.
0: Oh, okay, and and not Django Unchained is that just? Oh yeah, well, and did Django Unchained, yeah. Well, just, that's did, did you a, forget that name was used It's
1: such a shit movie, in my opinion. Django I, it's Unchained. Not,
0: I don't like it that much, but it's not. I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but it's no Puppet Master three.
1: <laughs> that's for certain. Yeah. <laughs> also, speaking of Puppet Master. It was a movie series that I'd never heard of until we started doing this podcast.
0: Never, never even heard of it. Oh yeah, never even heard of it. Because I knew you hadn't seen any of them, but I thought maybe,
1: okay. I don't know, the name doesn't stick in my head anyways. But the more and more...
0: Doesn't tunnel into your brain.
1: (laughs) Some may say I have a pinhead, but yeah, every time we we spoke about Puppet Master, it just sounded like it got crazier and crazier, and... I think when you bring Nazis into the series and set it in like in the mid '40s, uh, sure. this
0: is mid '40s, 1941. Oh, sorry, it's, early. Has that 40s. Ever been the mid '40s?
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, they they have a date at the beginning of the movie. I forgot. <laughs> they do. It's all great, Django Puppet Master. It's all great. All right. Well, you want to get us started with Django? So as you've already mentioned, Django, 1966, directed by Sergio Corbucci. I don't have much to say about Sergio Corbucci. I'm unfamiliar with the vast majority of his work. To
0: my knowledge, I've, I've seen two films of his, both Westerns. possible I've seen a Jello or two by this guy that I just didn't realize was him. But this, though it's a good movie, is not the best Western I've seen from him. He made a movie called The Great Silence, which is, the, I would say, the best spaghetti Western that isn't directed by Sergio Leone. Mm so there's a lot of sergios in italy in spaghetti <laughs> westerns at this time there's also sergio martino i don't know if he ever made westerns but i've definitely seen Jallos from him hopefully i'll get the names right and uh, i wouldn't want to mistake this for a sergio leone movie because though there's some visual similarities it's pretty different yes it's Yo Jimbo, mm-hmm. just like a fistful of dollars but it's also a lot like grittier or well, maybe not grittier, but it's like more violent and there's more of a grindhouse feel to it, which makes sense that someone like Tarantino would be drawn to this. Not that he isn't also drawn to Sergio Leone.
1: I was watching this and I kind of realized that something the Italians are really good at doing in terms Ripping of... movies of, off? Yeah. <laughs> well, that definitely.
0: That and pasta. It's like the two hallmarks of Italy and popes. The
1: Holy Trinity. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But I was watching it, and and I'm sure we've spoken about this before when we've covered other Italian Westerns. They do a really good job at making the world gritty and gross. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Hollywood Westerns were all about the kind of like glitz and glamour of living in the Old West and living that kind of pioneer lifestyle and dealing with things as they came. But Italian spaghetti Westerns are just about filth and people living in filth, and being yes. upset, and downtrodden, <laughs> and depressed, and people dying, and that's it, you know? I
0: have a few comments on that. One is, as a fan of Italian films from the 60s, 70s, 80s, a little bit, so just a little bit of the rip-offs, but just like the Jallos and the, you know some of their horror movies, be they good or bad, or even ugly... <laughs> The, I would say that's not just Italian <laughs> westerns. That's Italian cinema seems to be obsessed with filth. There is a lot of <laughs> depraved stuff going on in in some of those Italian horror movies and stuff like that. And 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 there was a big Italian sex comedy craze going on in the seventies. I haven't seen many of those. I've seen I've seen maybe one or two. But I saw one movie called The Seducers. It has a couple different titles. It is the first and possibly only film I've ever seen that had to include the disclaimer on the blu-ray saying that no goats were molested during the making of this film so (laughs) maybe that goes to show that i I think italian i mean django kind of is an exploitation movie it, it is more so than the leone movies certainly
1: exploitation in like in what way like i guess
0: just the violence i mean this is like and even like again this is 1966 so this is an exploitation film that comes out let's say 16 years before pieces which is a movie that we've covered mm-hmm. which is i would argue the greatest exploitation film ever made oh, one but
1: of the best movies we've it, covered on this podcast <laughs> yeah yeah
0: absolutely but so a little bit of sex too i mean this this goes far beyond what hollywood was doing in 1966 with the risqueness of 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 sex and, and not that it's anything that you would see in, in an r-rated film mm. now even and then definitely the violence the it just feels pretty brutal at times and another thing i was going to add about you mentioned the filth and some of that is a bit of a happy accident from what i understand so i owned the blu-ray of django fantastic blu-ray the movie looks beautiful i took a look at a couple of the special features there's like a 20 minute talk from director alex cox about this. And of course, Alex Cox, director of Repo Man. And I remember thinking like, wait, wait what is, why is he talking about this? Like, what, what's going on? And then it became clear later on, because if you remember at Repo Man, this like punk rock movie, he also made Sid and Nancy, and he also made a movie starring Joe Strummer. It became pretty clear that his appeal, or the appeal of Django to him, was because it's featured in the Jamaican film, the harder they come which was kind of the movie that introduced reggae music to the world and so it had a huge impact on british culture had a huge impact on the clash because the clash loved that reggae stuff i saw that movie a few months ago there's a scene where the main character ivan goes to like a kind of a grindhouse theater and watches Django, and it's the scene with like the gatling gun where he's just mowing down people in the street I don't remember if this was from the Alex Cox interview or from there was another talk by like a film scholar about Django and apparently wherever they filmed this it's not the same place where the Leone Westerns were filmed it was like an old place where they used to shoot Western movies and then when they got there it was just like in disrepair oh and the set decorator says to Corbucci and he's like hey do you want us to dress it up and Corbucci's like, no, let's make it filthier. So the, so that was kind of like a uh, sort of a happy accident. It just like happened to be filthy. And then uh. it's like, you know what? Make it as muddy as hell. And, you know, and, and it's a different look than a lot of Westerns because of that.
1: Yeah, it's certainly grittier and, and depressing and bleak, much more depressing and bleak than probably any Western I've seen. Before I actually get into Django here, let's talk about the score for a second. Composed and conducted by, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Luis Bakalov.
0: Who I'm guessing by the name isn't Italian.
1: Do you know where he's from? Argentina. His score is very brassy. There's lots of horns in it.
0: And that's that's the Mexican. They're, they're trying to go for a Mexican sound. That, that comes up in certain tracks on the good the bad and the ugly like the the trio the song and the big finale with the three guys facing off that's for lack of a better term a very horny track <laughs> right
1: i have a feeling that most of the tracks in this are very horny and it gives sure. it a whole kind of different sound as opposed to something like leone's westerns which are very like you, you can hear the string and the bass and and whatever right being played or you have you know
0: i mean it's a it's a different kind of score it's not as good, but honestly, you know me. I don't think anyone's scores are as good as Marcone's, so you know it's a tall task. Well,
1: exactly, yeah. And also, uh, but but we have to talk about the Django theme. I guess you could call her the. Oh Django, my god! It's awesome. It's. Do you know anything about Rocky Roberts? That's the singer. I was he like a country guy? You know, country. I have music no clue, but me. I'm looking at his photo right now on Wikipedia, and he looks. Okay. I can't tell if he looks really cool or really lame. <laughs> <laughs> He's got these really cool sunglasses Bit of on. He was an American-born Italian R&B singer. That Django theme is fucking dope. It's awesome and I'm pretty sure Tarantino reuses it in his version of Django. Oh yeah.
0: It's it's an awesome theme and the voice is like just so deep and commanding. It's,
1: it's almost it's like great. it's almost like a male Shirley Bassey. That's kind of what it reminds yeah, me of. Yeah, you know?
0: I Weirdly, know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> absolutely.
1: A century ago, on the low hills along the border between the southern states and turbulent Mexico, a mystery man appeared. A man with a sad, have impenetrable face. Been alone?
0: Django! Django, have you never? Was that man, Another what was his secret? Thing. It's not important.
1: Django, and if I bothered you, will you accept my apology? He was pitiless in revenge, quick to decide, and a master of every weapon.
0: A man everybody would like to have seen dead.
1: Well, speaking of a male Shirley Bassey, uh, that's what Django opens on. We open on a man what? dragging a coffin. Oh.
0: Is that something Shirley Bassey was known to do?
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course. Yeah. But no, yeah. So the movie opens on this man dragging a coffin through the wet, disgusting mud
0: in the rain. Right away, I'm like intrigued. Like, what is this guy's deal? Like, it's just such a weird thing to see someone just dragging a coffin around. It's, It's so visual. It's mysterious and intriguing right away. Great way to open
1: a movie. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So you can kind of already guesstimate who Django is. He's played by Franco Nero, who I don't think we've... Ha- have we seen Franco Nero on this podcast? Yeah, Enter the enter the Ninja. Oh, wait, really? He's oh, the, that's he right. He's the
0: lead in Enter the Ninja. <laughs> that's right. And <laughs> Franco Nero, not, not a bad actor. I mean, I've always seen him dubbed, so it's hard to say he's a good actor. Mm-hmm clearly better fitted for this role than Enter the Ninja cuz he's kind of pudgy and and he doesn't really <laughs> look like he knows what he's doing with the martial arts stuff. He knows how to fire a gun and he knows how to look cool.
1: I think he's a gorgeous man.
0: He's also unfortunately dubbed by the worst actor in the world. I I assumed you watched the English dub. Yes, I should uh, yes. I'll start off by asking that question. Yeah. Apparently obviously it's dubbed entirely differently in every language and and they got like very very different sounding voices but for the english release which really ended up i think just being an american and maybe a canadian release the film wasn't released in britain until like i don't know the 90s maybe but apparently they were trying to sound make him sound like clint eastwood Mm. and he really doesn't sound like clint eastwood and he's just like a way softer voice than i would want and apparently in the Italian dub, he's dubbed by someone who's got a really, really deep voice. I picture, like, Italian James Earl Jones or something, and I just think that would fit the character better.
1: Do you think Franco Nero's performance is kind of colored by Clint Eastwood's performance from several years earlier? It
0: could be, but I'm also—it's it's important to remember that even though those Spaghetti Westerns, those Eastwood Westerns, they all came—64, 65, 66 is when that trilogy came out. I'm not sure how widely seen they were back then. Mm-hmm. I think they may may have only been seen in Europe. They weren't seen, I think they were all released in like 66, 67 in the U.S., which obviously Franco Nero he's not living in the U.S. at the time. But yeah, I guess I, I just don't have a, a great sense of how popular those movies were. I would say the character is similar to The Man With No Name. But keep in mind, A Fistful of Dollars is based on Yojimbo. This is based on the same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, that could just be coincidental.
1: Now, would you say that Clint Eastwood is a better eye actor than Frank (laughs) O'Neill? Well, well, he is,
0: but also keep in mind, Leone is the master of the close-up.
1: You're right, that is true. No
0: man uses as intense close-ups as sergio leone and no man can get as much out of an actor through a close-up as leone it obviously helps he's working with great actors i am not saying sergio is working with poor actors here but they don't give you those intense close-ups that the leone westerns are so well known for
1: yeah and even come to think of it i don't think i can recall a single extreme close-up or anything no, kind of no nothing nothing like you know <laughs> yeah. of of leone's
0: that, which is one notable stylistic change of, of many.
1: Well, to get back into the story here, I guess, Django carrying, or I guess dragging this coffin around, he stumbles upon a group of Mexican banditos. I guess they're revolutionaries. They're tying up a beautiful woman who's named Maria.
0: These people are called red shirts, which was a real thing. It's not just a Star Trek thing. You, you know, it's, it, all you nerds out there, this was a historic thing. Wait, no, the other ones are yeah, red shirts. Never the mind. American ones Excuse are the red shirts. Me. No, yeah. you're right. I'm sorry. These are the these are the ones wearing blue.
1: So Maria played by again, this listen, all the names in here are tough. Donna Nusiak, I assume. Beautiful woman. She's being tied up to this bridge and she's being tied up. Oh no up- way.
0: She's she's I'm sorry, I'm just looking yeah, 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 surfing look Wikipedia there. She's from Trieste, Italy. She was born in nineteen forty two, so there is a better than no chance that she was babysat by James Joyce when she was a child. Because that's where James Joyce was hanging out in the, in the 1940s. Although he was, like, blind at the time. I don't think he would have been the best babysitter in the world, especially for a young kid.
1: She tried to run away from these Mexicans, so they tied her up and they started whipping her. Which, by the way, she's very—going uh, back to your point— about
0: sexual depravity in Italian films
1: yeah she's uh she's very sexy and you're seeing some uh stockings and some uh lingerie which yeah there, was, not a, there, there was a there was a there was a scene
0: later with a uh prostitute who looked Native American I don't know if she was supposed to be Mexican where I thought they were gonna show everything oh me it too it really yeah. did seem like that yeah but but yeah this scene I mean right off the bat it's like oh whoa uh what are we doing here <laughs>
1: you're like now I'm paying attention <laughs> well now no, no, I mean, i'm ready to call the police. <laughs> Well, you don't need to call the police because all these Mexicans, they all get killed in in the blink of an eye by these red shirts.
0: Which I was going to say, I did not know those red shirts were an actual group of people or, like, gang. They were kind of KKK-ish, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. They were just a bunch of racists who I think populated more in, like, the Southwest and stuff. And so it was more Mexicans than black people and Jews that the KKK (laughs) was going after. But...
1: That's the point I was going to make. They're essentially the KKK just a different color. Cuz as soon as they save poor Maria, they go, "You filthy woman, this is what you get for selling yourselves to Mexicans." And then they start <laughs> making a cross and they're going to crucify her and burn her alive. But Django's oh, watching.
0: Oh, actually, all this. yeah. So reading reading up about them really quickly, 1875 to the 1900s, they merged into the KKK. So, oh, good okay, for them. so these guys, these guys, yeah, these guys <laughs> did not clean, get their act together. They, If anything, they got worse, maybe, but yeah. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah, I, I guess I assumed it was mostly Mexicans just because of this movie. doesn't look like it. They hung out, they were headquartered in, in South Carolina, so they were probably going after the same people that the KKK was. I just kind of assumed it was more...
1: Yeah, and then they were like, hey, why are we both competing over the same hatred towards the same people? Anyway, Django saves this poor Maria because then he takes out his pistol. And he just blows everybody away. And then we get this cool shot of one of the guys that he's killed. He rolls down into the mud below this bridge and it turns out to be quicksand. And he gets swallowed whole. So saving Maria, Django goes, look, stick with me and you won't get hurt. You won't. You won't need anybody to protect you. I'll be here. But I'm not going wherever you're going. I got to go into town. I got to deal with some business. So you're coming with me. We head into this, as you've already described, this dilapidated (laughs) border town that's just filthy. It's just nothing but mud and broken buildings, and it just looks like hell on earth.
0: It's bordering on no longer being a town.
1: So Django goes into this brothel that's run by a fella named Nathaniel. And he's like looking after these old haggard whores, except for one who, again, you were saying she looks Native American. She looks beautiful and lovely, but the rest are kind of old haggard women. You <laughs> know, uh, real battle axes of society. Okay, come on, this is—they've the been there, eighteen hundreds. Okay, no one. <laughs> listen, this is
0: this is before makeup was invented. Okay, they <laughs> yeah, well, the makeup that slack. was
1: invented wasn't doing them any favors. You know what I mean? It was all awful. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I sad.
0: just I just watched uh, the fifth Scream movie last night. They look better than Courtney Cox after being butchered by her plastic surgeon.
1: Django kind of wrangles a room for Maria. He sends her upstairs. And we get a bit of exposition here. Nathaniel explains to Django that the town is a ghost town because of this war being waged between Major Jackson, who has his militia of red shirts, and mm-hmm. Mexican revolutionaries led by Hugo Rodriguez. But everybody pronounces it Hugo. I don't know, did did you find it confusing that Jackson is, like, allied with, like, the Mexican army? When did that come up?
0: The relationship of, like, gang to gang and stuff like that. I mean, I'm comparing this to A Fistful of Dollars, but everything felt so clear in A Fistful
1: of Dollars. Here it was a little bit more... It was muddied, just like the town. Yeah, just like the set, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, well, Jackson, he's buddy-buddy with, like, the Mexican army, I assume? And it's the Mexican revolutionaries that he's fighting against. But Jackson hates Mexicans, and him and his red shirts hunt down and shoot Mexicans for fun. A guy who works for Jackson stumbles into the brothel to collect what is essentially a protection fee from Nathaniel, and this guy's name is Brother Jonathan. Seeing that Nathaniel can't pay it, Brother Jonathan kind of says, Hey, you know, you, you better have the money next time or else you're not going to be protected anymore. And he kind of sees Django sitting there, minding his own business, eating his soup, drinking some whiskey or whatever. And he's just kind of like intrigued by him. But Django spits <laughs> a cork in his face, causing the guy to just kind of slink away. And if you didn't already know, Major Jackson's no gem either. So when we're introduced to him, we're shown that he's a pretty ruthless, evil guy. And uh, his introduction scene (laughs) just has him shooting a bunch of Mexicans for fun, Mm -hmm. one after the other. And then he gets one of his underlings to do it as well.
0: Oh, so another thing I want to draw attention to, again, comparing these to the Leone Westerns and into A Fistful of Dollars in particular. So in A Fistful of Dollars, there's two gangs. One's white, one's Mexican. I could be wrong, but I don't feel like race ever seems like it's a motivating factor between those two gangs. Mm -hmm. Maybe a a little bit, maybe, you know, it's under the surface, but it's obviously a lot more explicit here. Yeah. And then also, A Fistful of Dollars kind of makes it clear which gang is worse, because you kind of see the brutality of the Mexican gang when they, like, burn down the house and and just like kill everyone including like unarmed women and stuff yeah and then obviously eastwood's beef is with ramon whereas this movie when we meet the mexican gang they do the most horrific thing i've ever seen in a film basically i don't
1: you, i don't remember what you
0: you, you were you were asking me like what what made me say this is kind of an exploitation movie how about the scene where they cut off a guy's ear and oh, feed yes. it to him <laughs> That's like that's like the most disgusting thing. That yeah, I like, about
1: that. Yes. Yeah.
0: How do you forget about that? It's amazing. It's yeah, like it so. Like, oh my god, what are they trying to do? Get me to root for the racists? Like, I can't root for the yeah, Mexicans no, when they do this. The
1: Mexicans are so happy and jovial, and they're not. They super cut off a guy's ear like and feed it to him. <laughs> yeah. Which but, again,
0: yeah. Tarantino does the ear thing in Reservoir Dogs. He does. Yeah. I mean, he's a talented filmmaker, but not an original bone in that man's body is he just was he ripping off Django in 1992 as well as 2012 who knows
1: well you know what do you expect from a guy who worked at a movie store and lived breathed slept eight movies have
0: you seen him in interviews i don't think he's ever slept
1: <laughs> yeah he's, I, he's on like oh, i think a mixture of like coke and meth you know what i mean that's he's that's just... what
0: it seems like i mean i th- maybe that's just him but he's a very very energetic man <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay, so after Jackson and his men fill their boots with shooting Mexicans, they decide to head over to the whorehouse, which seems to be a ritual that's regularly observed by the prostitutes. Before they leave, though, brother Jonathan says to Jackson, he's like, hey, there's a new stranger in town. I think you're going to find him kind of interesting. So they head on over to the brothel. They just kind of immediately start being dickheads. Two of Jackson's men start trying to rape a prostitute like i get it she's a prostitute but you know if, if she doesn't want to go upstairs with you she doesn't want to go upstairs with you and that's a life sure. lesson fellas out there listening
0: is it how often do you interact with prostitutes? no <laughs> no i i get it i get it but.
1: you're a prick
0: are you listening Herve
1: villa chase <laughs> well Django decides to confront a few of jackson's men and he Kind of pokes fun at how ridiculous Major Jackson is, carrying on this war against Mexicans and being racist and having his own little cult of red shirts.
0: Meanwhile, this dude is just dragging a coffin
1: around. around Oh, exactly, yeah, which he has dragged into the brothel covered in mud and everything. Yeah, he
0: looks like just a weirdo. There's a few lines where people like ask him what's in it, and at one point he says, Django. Yeah, the prostitute asks him.
1: You know what I liked about that? He kind of reminded me of, like, a biblical figure dragging a coffin around. And that's, I think, what was so cool. It's like, it was almost like he was death incarnate, you know, dragging this coffin around. It
0: feels, yeah, you say biblical. It just feels metaphorical. It feels, like, literary. Like, like, mythical, almost.
1: Well, there's a scene later in the movie where he's getting the prostitute to undress in front of the window. And as she's doing that, he takes the coffin out from, like, a back corner of the room. Puts it on the set of stairs, walks up, and then just slowly drags the coffin out of frame.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't, there's just something so cool about that. So, oh, it's just neat. So Jackson and his men surround Django in the brothel, and from a sitting position, Django shoots and kills all five of Jackson's men there with him. So he lets Jackson go. He doesn't shoot that sixth shot, but he says, look, return with the remaining 48 of your men if you want a chance of killing me. And then he immediately afterwards, Django goes upstairs and has sex with Maria. Yeah, this
0: <laughs> this doesn't feel right.
1: No, it's no, it's kind of weird.
0: It doesn't feel like this character. I'm not, I'm not saying he should be gay or anything, but I, it doesn't seem like he should be into women. He seems like Oh my god. he's, he's just, in, He. I feel like he should just be into profit and into killing people. Like that's, Yeah. I feel like those should be his, the, his only desires on earth. It just kind of feels wrong. I'm okay with, with Maria being in love with him, mm-hmm. which she is eventually. I don't know. This just feels wrong.
1: I agree. He's he's almost too cool to be into women. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's,
0: it's not even a cool thing. It's just like, again, we're talking about this character is like metaphorical. He's carrying around this coffin. He's death incarnate. Eh, does he have to have sex? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Italian's man there.
1: <laughs> all about the they're sex. They're depraved. And Boston, the Pope. So Jackson does eventually return, and he brings all of his 48 men, and... Uh... <laughs> They're all stumbling around through the mud towards the brothel. But Django has been hunkered down behind like this tree stump thing. Another dead thing in this dead fucking mm-hmm. godforsaken town. <laughs> and as they're approaching, getting closer and closer, the coolest thing ever happens. He lifts the lid to his coffin and pulls out a fucking machine gun.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm tempted to call it a Gatling gun, but it's not a Gatling gun because the Gatling guns you uh You crank. This, I guess, is just a machine gun. I don't know if this is anachronistic. I don't know if these were these kinds of guns were around back then. But I don't know either. But I can tell you
1: that that gun, I think, looks like some World War II leftover stuff that was left behind in Europe. Yeah, I think it's a Browning machine gun that they've put like a fake barrel onto for a movie.
0: Okay, interesting. But yeah, this scene, this is the scene I mentioned, was in the harder they come. This scene is awesome and the editing of it is like insane. It's so quick. The editing enhances the brutality of this scene. He is just mowing people down. Oh
1: yeah. He's just spraying into a crowd of people and
0: And they're falling in the mud again, this the mud really enhances this. If if this is just a the scene doesn't feel the same if it's just like a bright, sunny and like perfectly (laughs) kept western set.
1: Yeah, you're right. And, and the editing, the editing throughout all these kind of fight scenes or, or conflict scenes really makes the scene feel chaotic. It's the same type of quick cut editing used in all of these scenes. And uh, yeah, it's just fantastic at showing the brutality. Like you even have these red shirts turning to run away and a bunch of them are getting shot in the back and just falling face down in the mud. Mm-hmm. But it's just awesome. So Jackson and brother Jonathan are pretty shocked, (laughs) and they turn to retreat from the town, and then Django whips out his pistol and plugs Jackson's horse, causing him to fall face first into the mud, and then he gets up with a face full of mud and runs away, which is just adding insult to injury. You know, it's further humiliating Jackson.
0: Well, it's also, I mean, if if you wanted to do this, you could say, like, he's making him look like that which he hates because he makes him look oh. like a black person or like a mexican person. You mean Justin Trudeau? Yeah. Mud. Yeah, he, he looks like <laughs> Justin Trudeau now. And no, uh, I mean you if you wanted to do something with that, you could. It's 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 valid.
1: Yeah. So we're rapidly approaching an ear-cutting scene. Jeez. Django and Nathaniel, they decide to bury the bodies at a cemetery outside of town where we learn that Django had a wife that was killed by Jackson. Her her uh, grave is in this cemetery. Well, off-screen, the Mexicans take over the town, and they congregate in the brothel. But before that, they all just kind of show up while Brother Jonathan is watching these prostitutes wrestle in the mud. They just kind of jump him, and they're like, you're a spy for Jackson. Uh, you got such big ears, you fucking loser. <laughs> like, Which, no, we're gonna... <laughs> it, uh, at
0: this point, it doesn't really seem like he's a spy. It seems like he's just pretty out there about who he works for. Well,
1: exactly, but... yeah. I, I Like, he wasn't hiding it. You know, everybody knew he worked for Jackson. They slowly slice his ear off and as he's his mouth is agape as he's screaming they just slide the ear into his mouth (laughs) (laughs) and then they shoot him a couple times and he falls down dead in the mud yeah it's
0: horrific and again unlike anything you would see in an american western not just in 1966 but Ever, I mean, even when you when you hit the eighties, the nineties, in the seventies, outlaw Josie Wales, when westerns can be more violent, they're not doing stuff like this.
1: No, exactly. Yeah,
0: but this is involuntary cannibalism, though. I mean, I mean, (laughs) if you ever seen, I mean, that's as brutal and disturbing as it gets.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you're right. It is pretty disturbing.
0: (laughs) But it's just like uncomfortable. Yeah, in every way, and I cannot praise it enough. For, for, for I cannot praise Sergio Corbucci in the movie enough for going there, even if I don't
1: really like it. And I think the person who cut his ear off was the general, right? Hugo Rodriguez? But Yeah, probably. But again, this is like weird because
0: we see these red shirts and stuff. And it's like, oh, these guys, we we hate them. But then we see this and it's like, oh, <laughs> oh I guess we they hate all them. suck. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like, I, not that we need to necessarily pick a side, but again this is just like a cynical movie it's like everyone's just an asshole everyone sucks everyone's evil
1: and then the last person you're hoping is not an asshole is Django, but then he turns out to be an asshole
0: all right let's talk about that
1: well he gets he gets captured by the mexican revolutionaries
0: because i would argue that your typical hero in these spaghetti westerns is an asshole he's just like a likable one like clinton eastwood is an asshole Listen, he goes and shoots people just because they make fun of his pony. Like that's an <laughs> asshole move, but like,
1: yeah, but you I like don't know. him, you
0: root for him, so
1: yeah. But I don't know how likable Franco Nero is as Django. You know what I mean? That's debatable.
0: I, I I'm, I, I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. But
1: well, when on. he so when he gets taken to the brothel and he meets up with Hugo, you think, oh, something's gonna go down here, but Hugo welcomes him like a like an old friend because that's what they are they're old friends and hugo says something like oh he's a thief and a liar and he's closer to me than a brother you know and you realize oh Django's not like a super nice guy either but then but then throughout the rest of the movie though he's like he doesn't give a shit about maria he is stealing from people there's no like morality I guess it exists. Whereas Clint Eastwood had like some kind of morality.
0: Yes, again, a fistful of dollars. He found it in himself to care about that one woman who was basically held prisoner. I mean, he cared about that. That was like the only good thing he did in the movie. Everything else, he was was for his own self interest. But he was stealing from assholes, so you didn't really care. Yeah. But I guess here, if everyone's an asshole, I guess who's the real victim? I guess is Maria potentially
1: and like somebody like nathaniel i guess who's yeah nathaniel too
0: nathaniel who uh, i in a fistful of dollars there's like an innkeeper guy too and then there's also that coffin maker looks like the old prospector he's kind of (laughs) the equivalent of those characters i guess
1: yeah uh, again like this movie's just full of assholes and they're all mean people (laughs) And, and they live in a disgusting, depressing world. But, anyways, to continue with the story, Hugo learns that Django's killed most of Jackson's men, and he's in disbelief until Django pops the lid of his coffin and pulls out his machine gun and tests the machine gun on Nathaniel's bar, blowing up every single bottle <laughs> on the shelf. So, again, asshole. Well, sure. And Hugo's pretty impressed by this. And he's like, hey, I want a bunch of these so I can take back to Mexico and, and, and take control of Mexico. And Janko goes, buy
0: me a new bar, please, sir? Because <laughs> you needlessly destroyed mine. Exactly, yeah. I don't have insurance. This is 1870s U.S.-Mexico border. There's no such thing as insurance.
1: And Hugo, he goes, I, you know, I need a lot of money to buy some fancy toys like this. And Janko goes, I've got an idea let's rob Fort Shariba and it will be enough for you and me and Nathaniel and whoever the hell else. So we can, and that's it. And we can live our lives on that or whatever. And this is when it got confusing for me because Fort Shariba is this Mexican fort, but Major Jackson's hanging out there and he's buddy, buddy with the Mexicans, even though he hates Mexicans.
0: You know, think of it, think of it this way. Hitler hated anyone who wasn't white and yet yeah you got along with japan for for military purposes there's an ally ship there
1: but the japanese are like the germans of asia you know the, what I well mean?
0: yeah the japanese hated people who weren't japanese too but <laughs> still but yeah so it's so it works both ways i mean there's is that there's a strategic alliance that can always the want for the greed potentially being stronger than racism or any kind of (laughs) hatred potentially and just greed self-interest whatever you want to call it i'm fine with that
1: yeah i mean i'm fine with it I, i was just confused this movie rapidly shifts from kind of like a western to a western heist movie django hugo and some revolutionaries hide in a covered wagon that nathaniel drives into fort shariba once a week to take his ladies Mm -hmm. to the mexican soldiers and major jackson
0: i love how happy they are when the wagons arrive (laughs) oh
1: yeah they're 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 here the women are here and then just boom well you know it's funny they're all putting like shirts on and pants on to come out and meet these women but i'm like shouldn't you be doing the opposite (laughs) like me first i'm first in line Listen, we, 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 we fix the squibs to their clothes, okay? We can't do it on a <laughs> naked body. <laughs> that's right, yeah. These revolutionaries just start mulling people down with a machine gun in the back, with Django's machine gun. And this is another great scene where it's just chaotic, and there's people running around and falling, and everybody's shooting at each other. And while that's going on, Django and Hugo run into the fort and shoot up a bunch of people in a room and steal this big bag of gold and pour some more gold into the bag. And they run back out and chuck the gold in the back of the covered wagon and everybody escapes. But Jackson and the Mexican army are right behind them and they're chasing them over hills and through valleys and stuff. And then the Mexican armies just stop pursuing because they're like, hey, we're sorry, we can't continue to pursue them. They've crossed the border back into the States. And obviously Jackson isn't too happy about that. Which, and that whole scene, that whole heist scene took like five minutes, maybe ten minutes max.
0: Sure, yeah, which makes it all the more confusing why you say the film switched genres for this. Yeah, 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 for a second uh, you know. know.
1: Well, when they get back into town, Django asks for his share of the gold because he just wants to move along. He wants to get out. He's got other things to do. Hugo, though, who's pretty impressed with Django's plan and Django in general, he doesn't want to let him go. He doesn't want to give him a share of the gold right away because he's just too damn useful. So he urges Django to rethink his decision, and he locks the gold in an outbuilding next to the brothel. Then, okay, this is where, like, Django starts shitting on Maria. He's like, I don't want her. I don't want to touch her. Somebody else take her. I'm going to have this little Indian prostitute instead. Takes his prostitute upstairs, orders her to undress in front of this window, essentially. He's like, just keep undressing. No matter what I do, don't stop. So as he's doing that, he pulls his coffin out, drags it up the stairs cuts across across rooftops with it, sneaks into this locked room via the chimney or something. So when Django gets into the locked room, he takes his machine gun out, and he just starts loading the coffin with all this gold. And uh, then he like rigs his machine gun (laughs) as part of like a trap. He ties like a bundle of dynamite to one end, and he blows it up, blowing a hole in the wall so he can get the gold out, which also makes the machine gun go off and just start firing. So when revolutionaries come to the door to see what's going on, they just start getting shot up by this machine gun. And I don't know if you caught this, Patrick, but the effect was great, (laughs) because I think they just had like maybe they ran out of like blanks or something on set. I don't know, but then but they just had like a can. Is Alec Baldwin in this movie? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. So someone better be carrying that coffin under the next Alec Baldwin (laughs) set.
1: But yeah, no, I just want to say the, uh, the effect they use on this gun, they just had like a candle in the barrel. Did you notice that? No, I don't like, think I it's did. a flame coming out of like the barrel. And then there's a shot where, so because everything explodes and everything- Is this freak, the
0: machine gun we're talking about here? Yeah,
1: yeah. When everything explodes and people are freaking out and machine gun shooting people, all the horses, all the Mexican's horses run, run away. But there's a shot where the horses run in front of the doorway where the machine gun is supposed to be shooting out. And you can just see like little, like licks of flame coming out of the end of the barrel. And I'm like, did they just put like a candle or two candles in there to make it look like? I hope so. It was lighting cool. up.
0: It's you know, way back when, when I was in eighth grade, we made a movie, a movie about a Civil War battle. We had a scene where we just took some like action figures and had firecrackers go off next to them, and the effect didn't work because we thought. <laughs> I mean the effect, literally, like nothing. The the if you're watching the the movie that we made, the action figures just disappeared. Like we were hoping, like you could see them, like get kind of launched or something. No, they just like they like vanished. It just it it didn't quite turn out the way we thought it would. So I can relate to I can relate to pyrotechnic effects not quite working the way you anticipate.
1: Well, speaking of firecrackers, Django's trying to leave with his gold and. He's held up at gunpoint by Maria. And she says, look, if you're going, you got to take me with you. So they ride off under the cover of darkness. Hugo says, ah, damn it, I knew I should never have trusted him. So we catch up with Django and Maria. And they're at that bridge from the beginning of the movie where Maria was getting whipped. Right. And...
0: Come full circle.
1: And Django's telling her, he's like, look, I can't take you with me. It's dangerous out here. I had a wife. She got killed. You're going to turn out just like her. We should go our separate ways. And as Django's kind of explaining his reasoning, he accidentally knocks his rifle over and it goes off and it spooks the horse and it bucks the coffin full of gold down the ridge and into the quicksand where that guy died at the beginning. Great setup, I guess. So Django dives in after it and Maria runs out onto the bridge. And as Django's got her hand And he's given up on the coffin. Maria gets shot in the back by Hugo and the revolutionaries who just show up. And uh they pull Django out of the quicksand. Which if I was Django, I would have just I would have I would have been like, Look, just let this fucking quicksand take me. Because what he endured was way worse than drowning in quicksand, I assume. Yeah. Because instead he gets hauled out of the quicksand and he goes like, Look, I'm not gonna kill you. I've saved your life. We're even now, cause you saved my life once a long time ago in prison or something like that. I don't know. But I'm gonna get one of my cronies here to beat your hands into bloody broken pulps. So the guy jumps on Django and just starts beating the absolute ever-loving shit out of his hands with the butt of his rifle to the point where they're just bloody, lumpy masses <laughs> mm-hmm. at the now, end of this his is, arms.
0: So there's – Clint Eastwood endures torture in A Fistful of hours as well. Mm. And for his, it's, it's mostly in the face because I, they put like a lot of swollen makeup on and he's uh, – or maybe I'm picturing the good, the bad, and the ugly when he's out in the desert – He gets beaten a lot, I guess, maybe he gets, yeah, whatever. Well, he does the beating in Dirty Harry, though, at least. But um, this is, this is brutal stuff. And the hands, the makeup on the hands is like insane. I mean, it's, it's like, it it looks really good. It looks like his hands are just absolutely destroyed. But it's also got that kind of, I don't know what it was about Italian film. Blood is always the wrong shade of red. It's it's way too, it's always way too vibrant. But, I mean, it looks neat. I mean, that's why, that's part of the reason why Suspiria is one of the most beautiful films ever made. But it just, it looks amazing, but it still just doesn't look right, you know? No,
1: exactly. But you know what else doesn't look right? A whole fucking group of horses trampling his hands afterwards. I guess the next great thing that happens is that all the Mexicans, Hugo's like look we're going back to Mexico, we're fucking done here. So they ride back and I guess after they cross the border, they're ambushed by the Mexican army and Jackson and unfortunately for Hugo, he gets killed here. Then we catch back up with Nathaniel who's minding his own business in his brothel when Django walks in carrying Maria. So Django's got his bloody hands outstretched and he's carrying Maria in kind of like his arms. And he's like, you got to save her. She's not dead yet, but she'll die without your help. And he goes, yeah, of course I'll save her. But you got to get out of here because Major Jackson's going to be coming by any minute. So Django says, I'm not going to leave. And Maria doesn't want him to leave. But then she's like, but you have to go. But come back for me. Django leaves. When Jackson does show up at the brothel, Nathaniel tells him, he's like, look, man, he's he's waiting in the cemetery for you. But uh, he's not gonna be much of a fight because he can't use his hands; they're totally broken. And uh, Jackson goes great, and then just shoots him a bunch of times. We see Django at his wife's grave marker, and he takes off like the trigger guard, yeah. Of his the, I think it's
0: just called the guard, yeah.
1: With his mouth, and we see he's trying to like he's like fumbling around with the pistol because he can't even move his hands. Really, like like he's fingers. trying to
0: balance it on the cross on the grave,
1: and he's got it aimed. Directly at the entrance to the cemetery, and he, we seem struggling for a couple minutes. The entrance
0: thinking, to the set, because this is very clearly a set. Yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. But you seem struggling, and you're thinking, "Oh man, he's got no chance." And all of Jackson's goons walk in before him, and then Jackson walks Would in. Would
0: you say all of it's like it's,
1: it's like five?
0: Because every other one's been murdered. Yeah, horribly.
1: <laughs> yeah, with a machine gun. <laughs> but when Jackson walks in. I guess he assumes that Django's praying and he's like, You better make your final prayers and he starts taking pot shots at Django and he's hitting the cross. Then Jackson yells, I can't hear you and he shoots again, and then Django says, Can you hear this? And he's got the like the trigger of the gun butted up to the grave, so all he has to do is push, and then he can use one of his broken hands to cock the gun. So he just fires rapidly. <laughs> and kills everybody. It's such a cool fucking thing. And everybody's down on the ground, dead, and Django gets up and that cool Django theme from the beginning starts playing and he leaves this bloodied gun hanging from like this iron heart on his wife's grave marker. And then we see him walk through the cemetery and up to the entrance and then disappear kind of over the horizon. And that's it. Great fucking movie. Patrick, what'd you think about Django?
0: I was actually mildly disappointed by Django. I still like it a lot, but I remembered liking it more. This was more violent than I remembered, which is neither good nor bad. It's just kind of interesting. Again, forced cannibalism, that's something else. (laughs) I do think seeing Django go through the beating that he goes through really is something, and it makes the ending that more heroic, that much more heroic. Mm Mm-hmm. The Django character could be better, and I don't mean he needs to be. There needs to be like more to him. I almost think there needs to be less to him. I just think he, because I think he works. He's so compelling as just this guy who wanders around dragging a coffin. I, th- I think the movie misfired a bit by revealing what was in the coffin too early. I would have loved for that to be maybe not the last scene of the movie, but like. One of the last scenes to that yeah. being kind of like building up to the climax, I think that would have been awesome. But I mean, at the same time, it's you know regardless of when it happens in the movie, it's incredibly satisfying to see him pull a machine gun out of the coffin and just mow down <laughs> seventy five men <laughs> in quick succession. Like that's great. No matter what if that could be the opening scene, it would be satisfying. But it'd just be a little bit more if it was later on. Yes, I like the movie quite a bit. I I think for me the biggest hurdle that this had to kind of overcome was the wisconsin-born dub actor who did django (laughs) because it just really i just wasn't feeling it it just didn't work for me you know the eastwood movies eastwood is providing his own dub so you almost kind of forget that it's even dubbed like you notice it obviously with the other characters but it just feels so much more organic and it's it's just a better it's you can appreciate the performance more when it's n- it's not just good acting but there's also a good dub actor here the acting may or may not be good but i really don't think the dub acting just fits the character at all it's just kind of like wimpy and and useless sounding i don't know but i like django it's not my favorite spaghetti western but it's a fun one it's a good one there's a uh, it's so dark and cynical that that's really entertaining to me because I like that stuff. I, I don't think Westerns have to be like that. Like, I, I love me a good heroic Western sometimes, too. But this is a different take on that kind of thing, and, and, and it satisfies. Jim,
1: what about you? It is a fun movie. My only gripe about it is, I guess, kind of aping off what you said, the dubbing A lot of it's terrible, and it's really noticeable.
0: I only really hated it with Django. I didn't really mind it with the others.
1: The dubbing of General Hugo was pretty good. The dubbing of Jackson was pretty good and like the side characters were all right. You know, they were only on screen briefly so you could forgive it. Yeah. But we just
0: Django named 90% of the characters.
1: Yeah, I mean Django was pre- <laughs> Okay. Django was pretty terrible though and Nathaniel was bad.
0: Nathaniel, okay.
1: He had this like little English lilt or something to it. I don't know. Uh,
0: what about Maria? Were you okay with Maria's dub?
1: Well, she didn't really talk much.
0: I mean, she it's not like she doesn't talk, but
1: my other gripe, I guess, is that I kind of and again, it's kind of saying what <laughs> you were saying about the coffin specifically. I would have just liked to see Django at like because because the world is so awful and depressing. I wanted to see like a really dark. Oh,
0: in this Django. movie, okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah i wanted to see Django like this really dark person kind of like you were just complaining about how he was an asshole though yeah well because he is an asshole but like that doesn't mean that that, that you can't be like dark but like morally good like you know what i mean Uh, one of my uh... listen stop One of my, I'm this... I'm letting you go. <laughs> I just I just
0: I'm am not sure what you're what you where you're going with this.
1: One of my favorite, and this is going to get super nerdy here for a second. One of my favorite yeah. video games ever. Oh no, is a game called Bloodborne. There's a boss pretty early on in the game that you fight called named uh, Father Gascoigne, and you fight him in like this graveyard. And when you meet him, there's like, named a named after
0: of... the Manchester United star. I of assume. course,
1: yeah. But when you do meet him, he is like he's hacking up this beast. And the thing about him is that he's a crazy, evil asshole, but he believes he's he's doing the world a favor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's doing this based on the grace of God and of his church. It's okay that Django is an asshole, but I wanted him to have some kind of, like, I don't know, thing. Like, he's like, but no, I, I just wanted Django to do, to have something more... Than just like I'm dragging this coffin around because it's got a machine gun in it. Like I wanted him to be like I am. I am the bringer of death, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like sure. I'm here to judge you. That's why I have this fucking coffin. You know. You. I'm judging. I am the the devil,
0: and I am here to do the devil's work. Yeah. (laughs) That's uh. That's uh. Bill Mosley, and I think devil's. That's like a devil's rejects line or something. Okay. So so you wanted the character to be a little bit different. You wanted him to be more metaphorical or, i think so kind of talking I, about that okay i, I think so yeah i, I think him... i think i agree again i don't want him to have sex no i don't that, want yeah, jane go to get me, his rocks I, I don't need the
1: backstory of his wife i don't need the backstory of him being like a thief and let it let it be let Mexicans. it be a dirty
0: harry backstory where it's like it's like kind of just hinted at the wife. i mean i think they do in dirty harry i think he actually did say it was like a drunk driver or something but i also watching that movie i kind of think he's lying like, I think I think his <laughs> wife was, I, I watched that movie thinking his wife was murdered. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, that's just how I view it. But here, yeah, his wife can be murdered, but like, let's not get too into it. Also, again, this is, I, I hate to just compare this to A Fistful of Dollars, but at the end of the day, A Fistful of Dollars is a better version of this movie. Yeah, at the end of the day, Yojimbo is probably a better version. But what was awesome about A Fistful of Dollars, or, or at least what I really enjoyed about it, was that it was completely impersonal. for the man with no name he just strolled into town no real agenda other than make money and piss people off and then it becomes personal when he pisses off Ramon and he steals you know the, the woman that Ramon is basically holding captive as his wife and then Ramon really wants to kill him and everything but here he has a connection to both gang leaders and i just don't like that as much maybe this is just what i like about something that i like about westerns but i love the idea of just the stranger of Mm -hmm. just this guy who no one knows where where he came from and that's kind of like
1: well yeah he shows up at the beginning of the movie and then at the end he just leaves and they never yeah and and you know? And you
0: think that's what this is going to be. It seems yes. like the setup, it seems like the same kind of setup, and it ends up being a little bit different, which isn't bad, it's just, you know, it's not what I would have liked.
1: Yeah, exactly. Not what
0: I would have wanted to see in my in my Django movie.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's really it for me, you know? I just wish the character was a little different. But all, all in all, a fine movie. I'll watch it again.
0: Did you know, Jim, that Django has some, like, 30 or so sequels, and, like, I think one of them's official. What? For whatever reason, again, Italians, they love ripping off movies. They love ripping off American movies. They love ripping off Mad Max. They even love ripping off Italian movies because there were, like, so many unofficial <laughs> Django sequels. It was, like, a tr- it was a true epidemic in, in the 60s, uh, in 60s Italian cinema.
1: <laughs> true.
0: Epidemic. Most of them... You know, they they all used the title. Some of them didn't... It wasn't even the same character. They would just throw Django in the title. I think it goes without saying, Italy's copyright laws were borderline non-existent (laughs) at at this time. Toho discovered that because Toho sued the hell out of... uh, Sergio Leone for a fistful of dollars and everything. Toho with the Kira, Toho Kirosawa sues everybody. And though.
1: Well, and I think I think Japanese entertainment companies sue like a lot of people. Like there's a thing right now again because I'm super cool. Sometimes I watch people on YouTube who talk about anime, and some animes you can't show footage from an episode that's been out for like ten years, fifteen years, because that company will sue you and get your video demonetized or removed from YouTube.
0: I don't know what it is with Japan. Japan is like five companies in their entire country. And so I think maybe that's why because like everything is falls like under it's like Mitsubishi and like Yamaha like th- you ever wonder why Yamaha makes both pianos and motorcycles like two things that couldn't be more diametrically opposed it's because <laughs> y- Yamaha is like the biggest company in the world like uh, I think Japan has like five or six like mega corporations and that's probably why they have enough power to like do to sue the hell out of anybody because they just yeah it's it probably has something to do with that maybe it doesn't maybe that's coincidental but yeah Franco Nero was in an official Django sequel in 1987 they were they were plenty of other unofficial ones some of them might have even had frank o'neiro in them i I wouldn't be surprised if you know this was the era of like 60s and 70s this is the era of if a movie comes out and you have this star and and they were big in another movie the poster would just flat out say the name of the character in the other movie like there there are movies i know i brought this up to you but there are movies that will just say starring harold odd job sakata <laughs> because because they, you know you know you don't know this guy's name, but he he was you know odd job and there's there's movies oh. like that, so there might have just been movies that are like, hey, Django's in it, and it's like, what, um, what is he though? Um, but yeah, so a oh, lot a lot of Django sequels. Django obviously is a well known movie now. It's on it's on like I said, it's on Blu-ray. I've I've got, I own it. I don't know how easy to come by some of the other ones are. I'm sure you can find some on Tubi. Yeah, well, I was gonna but, say. Yeah,
1: This movie and the next movie we're going to talk about, I both found on Tubi in Canada. But let me just look up for a second Django. There's two Django movies on Tubi one from 1969, Django the Bastard. Okay. And then Django, dubbed the one that we watched.
0: Okay, so Django the Bastard coincidentally is a bastard of a sequel. It, it, it does not belong, yeah. but
1: Well, and and it has its German title on Tubi which is Django und die Bande der Blutunde.
0: <laughs> so, uh some of them have, have really awesome titles because um spaghetti westerns in general had awesome titles it, spaghetti westerns and jowl movies just have the most interesting titles to me they're they're really really wordy or they tend to be a fistful of dollars like that's just a cool title
1: well it's also kind of like bad english like you know what i mean <laughs>
0: but like it's not though it's just it's just fistful isn't a common word it's it's not like it's not a word it's yeah just, you're
1: right yeah it's just um, not yes
0: but like, but there's a, there's a movie called uh Django kill if you live shoot <laughs> <laughs> and that to me is is, a, is an amazing title there's also i'm a big fan of of the sartana movies which sartana as as far as spaghetti western heroes go he he's a bit less of a i mean i it goes like man with no name jango's probably your second one maybe ringo is your third one uh maybe george harrison fourth no i don't <laughs> know and then it's like yeah sartana maybe is the fourth one but here are the titles of the sartana movies they're all amazing they're really good movies, too, I, I would say. I would say some of them are better than Django, at least. If you meet Sartana, pray for your death. That's the first one.
1: That's awesome.
0: The second one, I am Sartana, your angel of death. Oh. This one, these next two are probably my f- two favorites. Sartana's here. Trade your pistol for a coffin. <laughs> and, th- yeah, this, one, this one's even better. Have a good funeral, my friend. Sartana will pay.
1: dude that's great
0: (laughs) and then lastly light the fuse sartana is coming oh dude
1: that's great
0: listen spaghetti western titles are amazing and even just you know Django, such a cool name whether it's reinhardt or this uh spaghetti western guy it's a cool cool name even if it's just the even if you you only need that as a title it's cooler if you throw some weird variety of words implying that the guy kills a lot of people like like all these sartana movie titles and some of the unofficial django titles but even just the name django is cool
1: yeah well i mean the name for this movie could have been the man who leaves bodies in the mud django
0: you, you know what would have been if this isn't really in the same vein but how about coffin full of gold
1: oh yeah
0: that'd be but, but then again that has to do with the movie and most of these titles don't really they're they are just like vague phrases that don't really relate to the movie in particular for the most part
1: yeah I, I guess we couldn't say anything to do with coffin
0: well yeah well, well you're not topping Sartana's here trade your pistol for a coffin so or have a good funeral my friend Sartana will pay it's just like a, a title that's like a full sentence it's like two sentences <laughs> they, two they sentences. took a
1: line from the movie and they just made it the title Except I'm sure it's not a
0: line, I don't think it's a line from the movie, maybe it is, but... Dude! Uh what? There's a Spaghetti Western called $10,000 for a Massacre? That's a pretty cheap price, really. These, these are, well, $10,000 in 1865 is a oh, lot my of money, Oh you're right, that's a lot of yeah, money. Yeah, that's, uh... Oh, that's, a, oh, guess what, this is an unofficial Django <laughs> Django <laughs> sequel. I just, I just clicked on it.
1: What are the odds?
0: Alright, well... How about we talk Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge?
1: Well, hey, hold on. I got one for it. How about let's move from let's move from a movie that's full of racists to another movie that's full of racists?
0: Sure. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, we were going to get there, but Puppet Master 3, Toulon's Revenge. Now, Jim, before we really get into the movie, you were telling me before we started recording that you are really getting into this Puppet <laughs> Master thing. So I want you to lead off with that. <laughs> what, what, I'm so excited th- th- three movies in, you did not like the first one, but how are you feeling about this franchise so far?
1: Okay, well, the second one was bringing it back for me a bit.
0: Second one was wonderful.
1: I'm liking how they're kind of like, I don't know if you can use the term retconning their franchise, but this is a, uh, oh, shit, Patrick, I'm losing my mind here. What's the word I'm looking for? This is a, a prequel. A prequel, thank you. And whereas, the last movie, we learned in flashbacks that the puppets are kind of magical, you know, kind of dark mm-hmm. magical. Now we're also learning that they're scientific and dark m- magical. There was no, the, but they were there, there was
0: science, was a part of the second one. It was, it was like a weird mix of science and magic in Puppet Master 2. Yeah. I would say this is a continuation of that. The only real monkey wrench this throws in in terms of that is that, wait they're reincarnations of people
1: well exactly yeah <laughs> and and like the leech woman isn't just a random woman it's like the reincarnation of his wife even
0: though there was a reincarnation of his wife
1: in the last I, film exactly who right. <laughs> was a real person <laughs> it's it's confusing yeah i don't know i i just it <laughs> it's such a stupid movie but it's great yeah and, so you know Anyways, go on.
0: <laughs> well director david david dakota of course longtime fans of this podcast will remember dr alien one of our favorite films of all time it's a wonderful movie that has no idea what it is it's part teen sex comedy and part like childish coming of age family comedy it's it's a very strange movie but it's wonderful it's wonderful it's it's a linnea quigley has a small role in it so does michelle bauer michelle bauer has a small role in this one as well but david dakota when he is on or when (laughs) i'll use the past tense when he was on (laughs) he was a very very entertaining b-movie director most of the movies he's made are unwatchable but (laughs) the reason i still like him is because he has these movies that are just really fun and they're not trying to be anything that they're not they're just entertaining and i think you know he's he's a bit of a charles band protege i guess you could say which you know god if you study under charles band uh you know it's not not quite like the way aristotle studied under plato a bit...
1: <laughs> oh you don't say
0: Or samuel beckett learning from james joy it's a little bit different but yeah it's it's uh because i don't know if dakota's first movie might have just been made on his own i think that's i think his first movie's drew maniac it's Borderline unwatchable. It's it's kind of noteworthy because it's a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff, but it's also very gay, <laughs> which David Dakota, of course, is a gay man, and kind of in hindsight, that makes it seem like it's a ripoff of a Nightmare on Elm Street too. But I think that's just coincidental. I think I read something like Dakota couldn't convince his actresses to get naked in the movie, but he, for whatever reason, he could convince his actors to just strip down to their underwear and walk around. So that's kind of why that happened. <laughs> Band picked up on him pretty early on after that. I know Dr. Alien, Charles Band, is like an uncredited producer on that. Charles Band, of course, all over these Puppet Master movies, his brother Richard is doing the score. Yeah, I was
1: going to ask that, yeah.
0: (laughs) Based on the credit, I don't think this film has a score. The, The opening credits make it clear, like, original Puppet Master score by Richard Band. So is this all... is none of this original music and that's that's what the opening credits implied almost this is arguably david dakota's best film or his most competent film you know what whatever superlative you want to give it it's it's arguable because this is a very entertaining movie it's not a work of art no puppet master film is a puppet (laughs) master 2 comes close i think but yeah this is i think as i told you a while ago this is indiana jones and the last crusade on a budget this is Classic, nineteen forty-one Nazis running around. The puppets going after Nazis, and then you know what? The, really, the the if you, if you have one takeaway from this film, or if I have one takeaway from this film, it is that Richard Lynch is my favorite Nazi. <laughs> right?
1: What about? Yeah. Well, what about Mr. Pitt?
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about Mr. Pitt. Uh, Ian Ian Abercrombie, who he just kind of looks like Mr. Magoo. He's just kind of a goofy looking person. He works as Mr. Pitt. I don't know if he works as this like kind of weird mad scientist who's basically working on his reanimator serum. But Richard Lynch is an amazing character actor. He's he's almost always a villain. I've really grown to appreciate him over the years. He's in a lot of Charles Band stuff. He's in a lot of stuff that's higher quality than that, too. Mm-hmm. But he's usually a villain, and that's a lot of that is because of his looks. He is...
1: He's got the villain face.
0: Well, and you know what that is, is he was badly burned. He's like a real-life
1: Freddy Krueger. Oh, because I was wondering, because I was like looking at his face a lot. Yeah. And it's really noticeable in this movie that his skin yeah. looks very different compared to every other actor's on screen.
0: Yeah, and it's because he had some really bad burns at, at one point or another. I don't know if it was when he was a child or if it was when he was an adult. I don't know. But I will say, probably a wise move to not have Torch in the movie with Richard Lynch. <laughs>
1: uh well though at the end it
0: yeah at the happened. end they they do they do go there they they bust out some fire <laughs> richard lynch is <laughs> Poor for his
1: life there he's screaming but, yeah. like frankenstein you know
0: <laughs> but no but the point is richard lynch is your typical gestapo villain and he really excels in this role. It's a genuinely good performance. He's a very threatening villain. Mm-hmm. I like how he dresses like a film noir guy. Like there's that, like, again, it's 1941. And he, he just, he doesn't dress like a Nazi. He he, he dresses like Humphrey Bogart or something. He just <laughs> yeah, has this kind of yeah. cool look about him.
1: I don't know if you caught this. There's a couple like jokes in the movie. There's a scene where Mr. Pitt is in like, it's near the end where he's in like his lab. He's trying to replicate the serum. Mm-hmm. And the camera pans up. And there's, like, a giant beer glass on the, like, lab counter in, like, like a, a wooden stein? Frame. No, no, no. Like, a giant, like, beer glass that you'd find at, like, Oktoberfest. Not a stein, but it's, it's like, one of those, like, meter-long beer glasses that you gotta tip and okay. rotate. You like know, one so of those doesn't... boots? Yeah, sort of like that. But it, it, you gotta, like, rotate this thing so it doesn't spill all over your face. And it's just sitting with all the other, like, equipment on okay. the lab counter, but it's full of beer. Okay. There's another joke after some stuff happens with toulon and he breaks into a pharmacy and it's kind of written in like that 1930s 1940s german script but it's like it's it's a pharmacy but it's actually spelled in the script pharma z like p-h-a-r-m-a-z-i-e for like nazi <laughs>
0: okay that's that's it's that's, that's, that's probably not how it's spelled yeah <laughs> in, in german but i don't know yeah I can't confirm that.
1: (laughs) And then there's also, like, you know when Toulon has... He has the leeches in jars, and he's got a bunch of jars. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what the jars say. I couldn't catch it. But the first word on it is, like, it's that German B, L-U-T. But the B in German is actually an S. It's, like... Oh that's just how it's pronounced so it, it says. Oh slut. that
0: yeah, I know and I, I know what you're what you're talking about then, yeah. Yeah, it, it says it's like a, it,
1: slut something underneath. And I'm like, what? Is that a joke? Is this <laughs> what's this supposed it to be? It
0: probably is. It probably is, but I, I did not catch that. And that's the thing too, is as far as David Dakota goes, which David Dakota he's made hundreds of films, quite literally. Well, films in quotes. <laughs> His horror movies typically aren't really horror movies they're like goofy comedies they're the type of horror comedies i don't tend to like right they're they're usually not really horror they're they're yeah. not like serious they're 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 goofy they're tongue-in-cheek or they're just borderline softcore porn because he's made those <laughs> too but this movie is 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 probably as no pun intended as straight as david Dakota has ever played a horror film <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's kind of interesting. At least, you know, I've seen more David Dakota movies than you. I've seen probably more than most people, but this, it's a little tongue-in-cheek, obviously because it's just a Puppet Master movie, but it's but it's more serious than, like, Creepazoids or, or the other horror movies that I've seen from him. It's not winking at you so much. I mean, maybe those little things you're talking about, you know, those certainly sound like jokes, but for the most part, I think the movie creates a genuinely frightening villain. yes. And the gore is genuinely pretty impressive and well done and and disgusting and
1: Yeah, and and the movie creates like real stakes for the characters. The only thing that's tongue in cheek about the movie, like outwardly tongue in cheek about the movie, is the premise that puppets have come to life.
0: And you're stuck with that. If you if you're making the third movie in a puppet master series, you can't <laughs> get around that. <laughs> no. Right? <correct. laughs> so But anyways, let's get into it.
1: The Nazis thought they held the world's strings. But André Toulon didn't need wires to make death move.
0: Her Toulon has developed a method of animating his puppets without string. It's as if they were alive. Berlin, 1941. We start with... Major Krauss, who's played by the great Richard Lynch, he has an agreement with Dr. Hess, played by Mr. Pitt, Ian Abercrombie (laughs) himself, for Dr. Hess to bring dead soldiers back from the dead, but, but like, temporarily and and Krauss says that they're basically just going to act as shields for, like, the living soldiers? Like, so this is, like, a war effort thing? Yeah.
1: Which, there are stories that that's what the Germans were trying to figure out, how to revive soldiers from the dead just to be human shields, just to be fodder.
0: I mean, you hear, like, weird stories, but, like, I don't know how much that is true. Like, is it true that Hitler was building, like, an entire underground city? Like, I know Stalin with the the gorillas or whatever, right? Yeah. Stalin was trying to breed gorilla people or something? Yeah. That's what they right? say. Right? Like yeah, yeah, and I and I also don't know if that's it, actually there a true. Time
1: machine in Breslau, Poland and stuff. Okay,
0: like well that. you know you know what? I'm drawing the line at the time machine. Okay. I'm I'm going to say that one's bullshit. I <laughs> I can believe the gorilla people. I can't believe Hitler was trying to invent a time machine or whatever. <laughs> In this, in this opening scene, we see that the serum kind of works because this, like, zombie wakes up, emerges, but then ends up attacking Hess and Kraus. just shoots it. And then, of course, we eventually meet Andre Toulon. This is the third time we've seen him. It's a different actor. This is the third different actor. This is Guy Rolfe, uh, an English actor. This is a very different Toulon from the Toulon in Puppet Master 2 yeah, where and he's a evil like, villain. Yeah, and this is where we have to kind of talk about what the hell is going on in the continuity of <laughs> Toulon and the puppets because...
1: Are they evil or not?
0: <laughs> yeah, is Toulon evil or not? Like, what's going on? It, this is really confusing. And again, going back to... in So in the first movie, the first time we see Toulon, he blows his own brains out because <laughs> Nazis are closing in on him, right? Yes. We know he's made these puppets. He's made these magical puppets or whatever. But Nazis also want him. And it's like, okay, should he maybe be a good guy? Because the Nazis had something against it. Like, I'm kind of thinking, like, okay, maybe he's a good guy. Second one, he's just a crazy guy who's trying to kill people. And
1: and bring his dead wife back. And then here, we see him in
0: in his living form. Which, oh my goodness, that's another confusing thing. This is 1941. Mm Mm-hmm. He eventually makes his way to California. The original puppet master he's killed by Nazis in California. Is that just during the middle of the war? Is there are there Nazis in full uniform?
1: No, isn't it in like modern day? Like they Oh no, I guess it isn't. No, they, it's because a flashback and closed for a while. So, yeah. So, I guess they got to America. I think this was after the war though. No. no okay, so
0: I just looked at the Wikipedia page. I meant the Wikipedia page for the first puppet master movie 1939. <laughs> What the hell's going on with the series?
1: (laughs) It's so stupid. (laughs) This is three movies in and and we have no continuity. Yeah, it's
0: it's amazing how quickly it happened, I guess. but, But I'm not complaining, but it's just like.
1: Well, also, isn't the next movie in the series called When Bad Puppets Turn Good or something?
0: The actual title is Puppet Master 4, but. Yes, at the end of this, it says something. It's cl- your classic James Bond will return in, <laughs> and it says like Puppet Master 4, and it's like when bad puppets go good or something like that, which is kind of what this movie is. Yes. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're still kind of bad, but they're fighting Nazis. Sometimes there's evil versions of evil Nazi versions of the puppets that it's it's confusing and we haven't even really we've just scratched the surface really because here how many puppets are we dealing with right we've got blade who blade's not in the beginning of this movie we see the creation of blade Blade, right? yes, of course yeah. the most iconic puppet this is modeled after richard lynch's burnt face <laughs> according to this movie um Poor we get God. leech woman who again leech woman not at the beginning of this movie Mm-hmm. it's tulan's dead wife tulan's wife at this point is alive so see if you can guess what happens later in the movie <laughs> We get pinhead yeah we had jester jester wasn't no jester wasn't in the original puppet master but he didn't do anything yeah he just sat there. i think yeah so he's here and then who who is i want to say there was one more Oh, yeah, Six Shooter is the grand...
1: Yeah, he's the new one that doesn't appear in in the first two movies at all.
0: Yeah, at, at least in the in the first few movies, or at least in two and three, each one introduces a new puppet. Two, it was Torch. Two, two was Torch's movie, and three <laughs> is Six Shooter's movie.
1: I like how when he created Torch, he made him look like a little Nazi.
0: That's another thing, just like visually... Some of them look like Nazis.
1: I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like, are they? Are these? Are, do these things fight Nazis, or are they kind of Nazis
1: yeah, themselves? I, 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 I don't know, know. Right? I know. Well, some of them literally are Nazis, or or had worked for the Nazis. It's
0: it's movies like this that really make me think of Pauline Kael, the famed film critic, referred to Sam Peckinpah's Straw Dogs as the first ever fascist work of art. <laughs> And I just want to know that Pauline Kale had that same energy for these Puppet Master movies, for these Nazi heavy Puppet Master movies, because I really feel it.
1: Me too, pal. Me too. Also, <laughs> my favorite part about this, because I, I assume this was filmed in like California or something, right?
0: Oh, yes. I, I have more to say on that, but go on.
1: But my favorite part is when they cut to like exteriors of like houses or streets, and there's just like a bunch of Nazi flags and <laughs> signs and stuff. And I just oh like... yeah, the swast the swastika
0: budget on this movie is impressive. Oh,
1: it's through the roof. Yeah, it's as good as Indiana Jones. But I like the idea that this movie was filmed in what 1990, 90, 91 and somebody's just riding their bike down some fucking street in California, and there's like somebody's mansion that's just decked out with swastikas. <laughs> And they're like, oh, interesting. I wonder what movie's being filmed. Probably a period piece. And it's fucking Puppet Master and it's 3. Puppet Master
0: 3. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, is, is Spielberg doing that uh, Holocaust movie he's been talking about? Oh, no, it's Puppet Master 3. Okay. <laughs> Charles Band did a lot of filming in Europe. Specifically, he owned a castle somewhere. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. It's it's <laughs> Several of his films are shot in that castle. I can't remember where it was. Some weirdo place in Europe. So like with Django, Django, I watched the special features. Pubmaster 3, I watched the video zone. I mentioned this back when we were talking about Pubmaster 2, but these predated DVD special features, these were little things that were at the end of a VHS tape because these were all straight-to-video movies. Fortunately, many of them are preserved on not just the Full Moon feature streaming service, but even on Tubi. For the video zone here, there was a little talk of... uh, David Dakota was talking and said that the original plan was to film in Bucharest, but the government was kind of unstable at the time so they decided against it and then they said okay, let's do Budapest and and I can only think because they got the two mixed up, but then they eventually said no to that, and or they, they were worried about how expensive that was going to be and Dakota goes up to Charles Bannon and is like, listen, I can get you all these exteriors in six days, just trust me <laughs> Well, they, they filmed at the Universal Backlot. Yes. For yeah. all I know, this might be the only full moon film fi- filmed there. I It may or may not be, but, again, the only reason they did it was because Dakota's like, listen, we're only going to do six days of this. Everything else, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's do it. Because you do see the interiors of uh, whatever building, that whatever Nazi headquarters is uh, where Richard Lynch's office is and stuff. It really doesn't, it's not... An impressive set, you know. It's it's the exteriors are all nice, but all the like interior sets are just like, yeah, whatever. It is, yeah. Let's just get some.
1: Now, listen. I've just googled some information. Firstly, I'd like you to apologize to Charles Band for calling his castle in some middle of but fuck nowhere European country. Where was it? Empire Films chairman Charles Band has found a way to beat the high costs of filmmaking. He's just purchased. Cast- yeah, that's the
0: reason he bought it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, I had heard that. Yeah, now, I'm,
1: I'm reading an article from the LA Times from 1986.
0: Okay, so this is fresh off of like From Beyond, and this is this is prime Charles Band. This is <laughs> when prime, he was getting theatrical releases band. and stuff.
1: He's just purchased Castello di Giove, a 140 room 12th century castle, 30 miles northeast of Rome. But now get this: Empire wouldn't comment on the purchase price, but Deborah Dion, a company vice president, quipped, "It was the cheapest house on the block."
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm picturing Charles Band like releasing a bunch of rats into the castle so he could buy it cheap or something. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, know he what he did. Up, he
1: walked up the night before and threw rocks through the windows. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I just want to—I just want to say one more line from this article. Deborah Dion, this uh, this company vice president. This article ends with her saying, "We're looking for any script set in a castle, except for musicals. There's too many echoes in the castle for people to go around singing."
0: Interesting, especially given that some of Charles Band's earliest producer credits were erotic softcore musicals. He did the
1: <laughs> Stop famed
0: us. X-rated fairy tales. I, I think Charles Band did that. Fairy Tales. It's like Linnea Quigley's first movie. It's it's uh, it's actually surprisingly funny. <laughs> it's a surprisingly funny and surpri- It features surprisingly good music, sex comedy musical, kind of poking fun <laughs> at Fairy Tales. It was, ba- it was basically Shrek for the adult crowd back in the day.
1: Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> I may or may not own that one on DVD. But oh it's no! Good.
1: Don't, don't, don't admit to it. <laughs>
0: So anyways, we got to get back into the story here because this is where we meet Toulon. He is at his auditorium of some sort. He's putting on a puppet show with Six Shooter who is a cowboy with six arms and he's shooting a puppet Hitler. The kids in this audience, they're, they're absolutely loving it. In particular, this boy named Peter who meets Toulon after the show who looks like he's a different race than his father. I don't know what that was about doesn't he
1: uh yeah well he does he definitely doesn't look like the kid the the father's son i can tell you that
0: we, yeah the, the, i do not see a resemblance <laughs> thing between those two he should get a i think the mother task, may have but, been. You know. i think the mother may have been sleeping around but <laughs> uh, so so yeah that's peter and uh there's someone else <laughs> someone peter. else in the crowd is Herr Stein, who is a a um, soldier working for Krauss, who also happens to be a puppeteer. And he goes up to Toulon after the show, Toulon and his wife Elsa, who doesn't resemble the woman from Puppet Master 2, but, you know, whatever. It's <laughs> We've already talked about this. <laughs> Listen, this is two years after Toulon died, according to the first one, so who knows. Stein tells Toulon he's really impressed with his craft, but... He ought to change the subject matter, because he thinks, you know, making fun of Hitler, those kids see it, they're going to think it's okay to make fun of Hitler. And Toulon believes that he is making genuine political satire. Mm -hmm. But we got to talk about Toulon here, played by Guy Rolfe, like I mentioned. A very grandfatherly performance. Yeah. Yeah. This is certainly not the monstrous Toulon in Puppet Master 2. And in the first Puppet Master, the guy blew his own brains out before we really got to meet him. So <laughs> this is like, it's, it's like a Geppetto. He's like a Geppetto. He's just like a kindly old guy who just wants to make his puppets. Found out later he was like a doctor also. Yeah. That, that doesn't come up until way later. But yeah, so when Toulon and his wife Elsa, who his wife, I guess, is much younger than than him (laughs) but they do seem to have a great relationship at the same time and Tulan unveils a puppet of her that he has made and I actually didn't recognize this as Leechwoman at first yeah me neither but then Stein goes to Krause and turns in Tulan well actually as Stein is leaving he overhears weird stuff going on and goes uh, he goes to look through the window and he takes photographs of these puppets moving and being, as Toulon says, fed, he, he injects them with this like green serum, kind of reanimator serum-ish thing. This is established in Puppet Master 2. Unfortunately, of course, I guess for Stein, and unfortunately for Toulon, even though it's 1941 in a German wartime economy, he has a consumer grade camera, which I feel like wouldn't have been common in 1941, but I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, I'll allow it. It's Puppet Master.
0: So Stein turns Toulon into Kraus. Kraus goes over to Toulon's workshop, but not before Hess, who hears about this and in particular hears about this formula. Hess, of course, trying to bring people back from the dead, thinks Toulon could help him. So he's worried that Kraus is going to go over there and just kill Toulon or just throw him in prison or something. So he calls up Herr Mueller, who's a general who is played by, I don't remember the guy's name, but he is the head of the KGB in a couple James Bond movies. I think the the Roger Moore ones. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you've seen him as a communist now. You see him as a Nazi. He's a general. When we first see him, he's in a brothel. He's in a bath with a washcloth covering his junk. Thank God. And a bunch of naked (laughs) women around him, including one Michelle Bauer. Mueller tells Krauss, no, he has to listen to Hess here. Hess this guy could actually be useful so they go over there they're they're seizing all of the puppets and then they're going to like basically arrest tulan but then when hess goes to grab the serum elsa tulan's wife tries to stop him and kraus ends up shooting her yeah so she's dying on the ground and kraus is like ah don't worry we'll get an ambulance but then as tulan's being shoved into a car elsa spits on kraus and kraus just finishes her off and shoots her again it wasn't established until after this, but there's one line about how she was Jewish. Yes. And that's another thing. So, again, original Puppet Master, Toulon, is hunted down by Nazis. Is he Jewish? You know, we yeah, don't know anything thought... about Toulon, really, in the first movie. And you would think, like, he's an enemy of the state. It's not necessarily because he's Jewish and he married a, a Jew, but it's like he's an enemy of the state because he's Making fun of Hitler in his puppet shows, really, and then he's also, I, you know, th- th- he happens to have technology that would be valuable. It's it's confusing, and it's also like it doesn't help that Toulon is very clearly a French name. Well, that's
1: what I was gonna say, yeah, and I was gonna say, didn't he flee from Paris in in the first one, and or like it was just assumed because his last name is I Toulon. Don't,
0: yeah, I don't think they ever say. I don't know, and then, then he's spending time in Egypt, too, and it's just, it's confusing. Oh, and another thing! Oh, my God! <laughs> again, again with the continuity, and this one, you know, so there's a line here where he talks about, he took up puppetry, he was a doctor until after the war, meaning World War One. Yes. And so that's when he took up puppetry, but even in this film we see a flashback to 1912 egypt where he was doing a puppet show 1912 (laughs) is not only before world war one ended it's (laughs) before it fucking started
1: yeah what is going
0: on in this puppet master series
1: isn't it great
0: (laughs) oh man it's yeah it's it's it's, it's continuity i mean we're three movies in the continuity is already a nightmare it's kind of amazing puppet
1: master is the gift that keeps on giving (laughs)
0: You say that now.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah,
0: I gave up. I mean, I I've seen them all, but there was a certain point where oh, I've got another Puppet Master movie to watch. It it was a, it was a chore to keep watching. At a certain point, <laughs> then they actually got better later on. But yeah, definitely the first three, four, five, pretty entertaining. You know, some peaks and valleys. You know, so some are better than others. But is so Toulon's been arrested. He's in the back of a car. He's got two of his puppets, Tunneler and Pinhead. And they hatch and escape. Tunneler, <laughs> <laughs> Tunneler, as you might guess, tunnels into a soldier who's driving, goes, like, <laughs> through his chest, and then Pinhead, like, I think, chokes the guy out, right? Or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: He chokes out the soldier in the backseat with Toulon.
0: Yeah, that's kind of all. Pinhead, I mean, he's just got arms. He threw you know, a he's brick just... at
1: somebody at one point, but...
0: He's just brute force, that Pinhead. And so Toulon is free... And Krauss is humiliated by this whole thing going wrong. And he gets a stern talking to from Mueller. Toulon eventually reconnects with all of his puppets, who I don't know where the other ones were. And he says to the puppets, he's like, okay, listen, we're going to get some revenge. At this point, you're like, okay, 75-year-old man, puppets <laughs> hunting down Nazis. This is This is a movie I can get behind, right? He sneaks into a morgue. He has to get, like, some DNA or some blood or whatever from his dead wife in order to make the new Elsa puppet into his wife, into the ring. And he's like, hey, I'm sorry, this is the best I can do. And then I guess she just becomes a leech woman after that. Well, or he, puts a, he puts a
1: leech in her mouth. Yeah, but why? And also that whole, like, little reincarnation scene is a little disturbing. Like, the puppet is, like, seizing out. Oh, yeah, the movements of the
0: puppet are just, like, weird in yeah. that scene. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting, kind of fascinating to watch. So the so the first real big puppets-getting-revenge scene, Toulon wants revenge, right? He probably wants Krauss dead. Maybe he wants every Nazi who's ever lived dead, and that's that's fair. I'm with him. But somehow he knows to go after Mueller, even though he probably shouldn't even know who Mueller is.
1: Well, the first guy he goes after is Stein? Because he's working on the car because he drops um, Krauss off at Hess's okay. place. And Krauss says, I'll be out in an hour. Go repair the car or whatever. And that's when he gets jumped by Pinhead and Tunneler.
0: But where the movie really starts is when he gets Mueller. Mueller yeah. is back at the brothel with Michelle Bauer. An <laughs> incredible Michelle Bauer scene. One of her best performances, I would say. <laughs> Tuon disguising himself as a blind man brings Six Shooter. He brings Six Shooter over to the brothel, lets him out of this bag, and Six Shooter climbs the outside of the building. (laughs)
1: Like a spider.
0: Even though it's a shot from a distance, you can see the strings. It's kind of amazing. I don't know how... (laughs) like what they have like they must have used like something as wide as like you would use for cable cars or something i don't know how you could see them that clearly from (laughs) uh, from a long shot like that but it's awesome the the move the shots like overhead when you just see six shooter climbing towards the camera those look pretty good so six shooter gets into michelle Bauer's bedroom and shoots him kraus is able to fire back which leaves six shooter without one of his arms but six shooter shoots him five or six times i guess and the dude falls out the window <laughs> in one of the most obvious stunt men because 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 muller right he, this is a guy he's a little overweight he's a little on the older side right because he's uh he's playing the head of the kgb and then you know the spy who loved me that's 15 years before this and he's not <laughs> necessarily a young man at that time and listen he wasn't getting younger and yet, in this scene, when the person falls out the window, it's like a twenty-five-year-old man <laughs> with like black hair instead of that gray. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing—the the, stuntman. It's it's incredible. I mean, it's a good stunt, but it's like, <laughs> oh my god, is this a stunt. <laughs> so Mueller's dead. When Hess and Kraus go to investigate, they find the arm.
1: In the first two Puppet Masters, there was, like, a lot of claymation or stop motion or something. Mm-hmm. But in this one, there seems to be less. Like, they're actually using them as actual puppets, I would assume, with, like, I don't know, you know, the, the, those sticks moving their hands just out of frame or something.
0: Let's see. There's always been more puppetry than stop motion in any of these movies. I would say the second one had more stop motion than the first. I would say this probably has about as much as the first, maybe even more, but not as much as the second one. Okay, yeah. And the puppetry didn't feel quite as good as it did in the second one, but it's still probably better than the first one.
1: Well, and they hide a lot of it in this by showing you the point of view from the puppet's perspective, running across the floor and unlocking a door.
0: Which is true going back to the opening scene of the first film.
1: Yes, yeah.
0: So Toulon is hiding out in like some abandoned some like rubble (laughs) building, which again, this is nineteen forty one, right? Had bombing started on Germany at this point? I don't think so.
1: No, I don't think so. Not yet.
0: And then Peter and his father show up. They are also in hiding. They never get into it, but I guess maybe they're Jewish. Peter's father mentions a wife and that the, or maybe they're hiding because of the wife, but we never see the wife.
1: They went to go home and she was being arrested by the Gestapo.
0: Okay, I thought it was like a Mrs. Columbo thing where <laughs> they just mention her and you just never see her. Peter wants to help out toulon he wants to help out toulon by going to get all these tools from his workshop which toulon can't go to because he might get caught but when he goes there that's when hess also shows up and hess sort of captures him but he's not being mean to him and this is where it's clear i mean i guess it was kind of clear early on hess is a good nazi you know, as far as Nazis go, <laughs> yeah, he, he does seem like he's forced into whatever scientific work he's doing to reanimate dead soldiers.
1: And also at the same time, he just wants to listen to big band music and hold the Woody the Woodpecker balloon in the parade,
0: and eat yeah. Snickers with a with a fork. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, by the way, Mr. Pitt, there's a hilarious bit in Seinfeld where he looks like hitler
1: oh that's right i forgot it yeah
0: his pen leaks and then he accidentally gets it on his yeah, upper lip his face, and so, right? <laughs> so 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 he has the uh the hitler mustache and he goes i have been accused of wrongdoing but these false accusations will not deter us we will annex poland by the screen at any cost and our stock will rise high So. Hess convinces Peter that hey I I just want to talk to Toulon I think he and I would get along great so can you show me to him I'm not going to hurt him and so Peter does and Hess is like a little little schoolboy. he's like he's just seen a Woody the Woodpecker uh, (laughs) uh, at the parade at the Macy's Day parade he's just fascinated by Toulon. And this is where Toulon reveals. Yeah, you you has may have used my serum on the on the dead soldiers, and it maybe it didn't work. But the reason it works for me is I knew these people before they were dead. And then he he like looks at some of the puppets and says like, "This was so and so. This was so." And it's like, "What?" Mm-hmm. And and you know, of course, leech woman. This was my wife. I was married to this leech of a woman. <laughs> <laughs> this leech of a woman. And it's like, okay. And then he also reveals Blade, who he has just now completed. Blade isn't to life yet. Mm -hmm. But he shows it to him and and Hess is like, oh, it's a remarkable resemblance. So this is kind of interesting retconning where Blade has always just looked like that because that's what he's looked like since 1989. But now it's like, okay, we got a genuinely weird looking person in this movie (laughs) as the villain. Let's say Blade was based on him. That's kind of interesting.
1: It is interesting. Yeah. And that's why... (laughs) that's why i kind of like this movie
0: (laughs) there's a lot i like about this movie but richard lynch is definitely my favorite part i think throwing a human villain in this puppet master movie that's so evil like he's just fun to watch a true professional character actor just doing his thing playing an evil nazi having a blast doing (laughs) it i'm sure he elevates the film so yeah so Hess is fascinated by Toulon's medical genius, but then again, we, this is also like, there's medical genius, but there's also, this is like a weird magic that he learned in Egypt to kind of brush past that. He says something like, this, it's an old magic or an old sorcery, but it it's just, people just don't know it. You could learn it in any library today or something. They just, they kind of just brush past that.
1: Yeah, and it happened in 1912 after World War One. but continue.
0: So at this point, we've got yet another character turning toulon in to kraus in this case it is peter's dad
1: self-preservation
0: he's like kraus i will give you toulon but you need to guarantee me my wife and my son safe passage to switzerland switzerland of course a neutral country throughout the entirety of the war so kraus agrees to go along with this but you also think that he's not really going to go through like you you know he's going to do something to the dad Peter's dad takes Krauss and a couple of German soldiers to the rubble section of the Universal Backlot, and <laughs> some of the soldiers move in and the puppets start attacking. Pinhead throws a brick at someone's face, he goes full home alone too. <laughs> and Tunneler, you know, tunnels into someone's ankle here or there. Leech woman finishes Just bomb them off. Leeches. So Tulan and Hess get away, along with all the puppets. Krauss seeing what's happened to his men assumes that Peter's dad tipped him off in some way and, and you know and then there's a struggle between Peter's dad and Kraus and Krauss ends up killing him Peter gets away there, there's a pretty cool scene where there's, there's some neat squibs here where there's just like a German soldier looking for them and then six shooter just blows him away and he's just on the ground and then for some stupid reason Hess like goes like right up to him and it's like oh he appears to be dead and then <laughs> and the guy shoots him <laughs> why did you need to go up to him that doesn't make any sense to me but yeah so Hess is dying and then Toulon gets into he he says to his puppets we're finally back home is he back in the theater I think so it looks like he's just in a church pew he falls asleep there's a brief 1912 flashback to world war one is now over (laughs) franklin delano roosevelt's just been elected president and the cubs have just won the world series (laughs) peter shows up and wakes up toulon and
1: yeah and then doesn't toulon get hess's life essence and he puts it into blade doesn't he
0: he must because the next time we see blade he's moving around
1: yeah and it's got hess in him
0: I don't remember when that happens, though.
1: Me neither. The whole, the whole end of the movie is kind of <laughs> a blur, because I just kind of skipped past it. All I know is that they then... I mean, I guess we could just get to the point where they corner Krause.
0: <laughs> but okay, so this is where we discover that reincarnation can happen while the person's still alive, I guess, because Blade is among the puppets attacking Krause. But this is an amazing scene. All the puppets are out there doing stuff. Jester cuts the phone line. Yeah. <laughs> he's more active in this film than he's been in the other two films but he he doesn't really have a power like a fighting power yet
1: well his power is to make people laugh
0: and that's i think that's what he says like this guy he
1: was like a librarian who was really funny or something yeah
0: he was a librarian he was hilarious it's like okay (laughs) so i guess he gets to live as a puppet the rest of his life i don't know um
1: yeah so so hess dies from getting knifed by this soldier. And then he says, hey, Toulon, you got to keep fighting. Toulon goes back home to his old theater, falls asleep. The, yeah, then Peter shows up. But, the, but then the next thing on the Wikipedia page says, at night, Krause returns to his office only to fall prey to an ambush. Yeah, so, so when did he get the, the, the life essence? like doesn't even I... know what it does, you know?
0: But at any rate, let's get back to the, <laughs> the amazing Krause death scene. It's in his office. Pinhead i don't remember. pinhead must be smacking him around at some of the-
1: pinhead throws like the ropes over the light i think doesn't he? that's
0: right yes and Well, he- pinhead puts the hooks into him we'll, yeah we'll get exactly that. but yeah yeah blade stabs him a bunch of times and then and then toulon emerges and toulon throws ropes over a chandelier of some sort on the other end of the ropes are hooks and pinhead shoves those into into krause's back <laughs>
1: Well, one's in, like, his hand or, like, his arm. And I think the other's in, like, his neck or something, right? And that's how he yeah, gets hoisted
0: he's a, up. And when he gets hoisted up, he's in a very uncomfortable position. Not that any position with being hoisted by hooks would be comfortable. No, and uncomfortable but, for
1: the audience. It looks so terrifying.
0: Oh, it's amazing. This is this is Hellraiser on a budget here is what this is. <laughs> and Krauss just looks miserable, as you can imagine. And then Toulon lights the Nazi flag, the swastika, on fire, and the, which eventually lights the rope. And then they place an axe yeah, strategically they <laughs> under the hanging up Krauss. And so when the rope breaks, Kraus falls onto it to his death. It's amazing. It's excessive. It's stupid. <laughs> and it's wholly satisfying. Yes. <laughs> and then in the last scene of the movie... Toulon, who has now assumed Krauss's identity, well, he I think he sold the Nazi uniform probably from the guy that stabbed Mr. Pitt. He is with Peter. Well, actually, we don't see him with Peter. There, theres They do this kind of a neat thing. He's going to buy train tickets to Geneva, Switzerland. The guy asks him, "Are you traveling alone?" And he says, "No." And at first, you're like, "Oh yeah, because it's puppets." Like he's saying that. But then when he sits down, no, Peter is also there. And it's like, "Oh, okay." So he's taken Peter, and not they didn't stick around to save Peter's mother. I guess you know she could very well be dead at this point. She's probably dead. Just like Toulon in 1939, two years before this film. And so they're they're getting on the train. They're going to take the train to Switzerland and then maybe eventually travel to America, which is a real weird thing to do when you're in a Nazi uniform. And that, more or less, is the end of Puppet Master 3. Jim, thoughts?
1: I thought it was great. I really enjoyed it. I liked how stupid it was, but also how compelling it was as a revenge story. It was pretty straightforward. It was exactly what you wanted out of... <laughs> puppet master movie there was lots of puppets running around doing things killing people solid nudity yeah it was just a stupid story that was contradicting everything that came before it pretty much i don't know it was just great it was a lot of fun and that's all it was you know just stupid schlocky fun patrick what did you think about puppet master
0: puppet master 3 is a is a good movie it's a top three puppet master film before i rewatched puppet master 2 for the podcast I would have said this is the best Puppet Master film. However, I don't think it's as good as 2. I don't think it tells a story as well as 2. There's not... I mean, I guess maybe there's not a lot of plot in any of these movies, but this is really kind of like a... Toulon wants revenge. Mm -hmm. And then there's other stuff about reanimator ripoff stuff going on, and that's all not really that important, honestly. And... I mean, it, it does fine at that, but there, I, I think I would have liked a bit more plot, I and I don't know where... They could have done something different with the Mr. Pitt character and made him like a... Where he starts out as a Nazi and then he sees something in Toulon and he wants to change and... I, I don't know how you would write it different, but I just kind of wanted more to be going on. I mean, as wonderful and as, as wonderful as it is to see Toulon and Puppet's try and kill a bunch of Nazis. (laughs) I want there to be another step or two to the story.
1: I would have liked to see more Nazis getting killed in, like, ridiculous ways. Like, this is the perfect opportunity to have, like, puppets shooting machine guns, you know, or shooting flamethrowers, or throwing grenades, or something. Like, you know what I mean? Well, sure, but the puppets all,
0: again, I mean, not all, because we were talking about how Jester doesn't really have anything, but the puppets have their powers. You want them to... You could have a machine gun puppet if you want it, I guess, sure. But that's just not, they didn't design that. And, and so I think that's a little different. Like, again, going back to, it's always made more sense to me what we know of the puppets. And yeah, it, already we're talking about how there's inconsistencies with who Toulon is. But it's always made more sense to me that the puppets are good guys rather than bad guys, right? Yeah. And it's not just because there's the whole Nazi angle. <laughs> It's that they're basically superheroes. Yeah, like a superhero. Like okay, Spider Man, he's got spider powers, right? He climbs, he shoots webs, he swings. Yeah. Blade has blade, but well, he just has weapons. Blade has blade powers, but <laughs> um, Leech Woman has leech powers. That is a super. Po- it's a weird superpower, but it's a leech. superpower.
1: Pinhead strong. It would have been cool. Like Pinhead was an underutilized puppet. He. Scored somebody with some hooks and he threw a brick at somebody's face and he beat a guy in the face with a wrench. He
0: choked a guy at the morgue.
1: Yeah, but it's like, how come you didn't like, this is the perfect opportunity to do something super schlocky where like he impales he a, a Nazi guy's head or something. with like a Nazi flag. Like, how cool would it have been if they bust into like some Nazi HQ and they just start killing nazis left and right and like i said pinhead comes up with like a big staff with a flag on the end and stabs it right through a guy's chest
0: okay now that would have been fun schlock but if it just becomes kill every nazi we see you you lose the personal stakes of the tulan character
1: you're right it 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 becomes it becomes inglorious
0: bastards yeah. Which is fine. And Glorious Bastards is a very good movie, but it's not Puppet Master Three. It's not that good. Um
1: <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't really have any gripes about Puppet Master three, I don't think. Like I think it was Well let just...
0: let, me, let me get back into it then because I kinda led with my negatives. And let me say first off that I like this movie quite a bit. I think it's good. I think like I said, As good as Dakota gets playing horror kind of seriously, like, yes, it's schlocky and silly and stupid because it's puppets. But again, that's just that's what the series is dealing with. Like, you can't get around that. Mm -hmm. So how do you make a relatively serious, pretty satisfying movie with puppet killers? You have them going after Nazis. Like, why not? like it's, it's just perfect yeah and then i think the toulon character the toulon performance inconsistent with the other ones though it may be it's fun he is like this just kind of grandfatherly old man who you kind of like yes yeah and then kraus is definitely a villain you love to hate and that richard lynch performance is wonderful again we talked about the interior sets suck the exterior sets are great there's one scene in particular where they're like outside apartment buildings and it's like okay this just looks like modern city kind of but yes, like yeah. you know like the, the outside of the brothel like that that's just a great set like you you feel like they spent money there and and they probably didn't spend they didn't build anything they just shot at what was already built like Dakota said in the video zone like he said we we're, were shooting this movie in the same sets that they shot the original Frankenstein at the exteriors <laughs> like so the scene where the guy is walking around with his drowned daughter like that's probably right outside the Puppet Master 3 brothel or something oh, you my know God. <laughs> and that's awesome
1: yeah and you know it works well also too there's a there's like a scene where um two lawns and hiding right and he's got that flame he's got like that candlelight on his desk did you notice it's the top of a tiki torch yes yes i did yeah and i was like come on like, you couldn't <laughs> I, have just put a fucking I, I candle to, there you i you meant to mention that you the yeah, a tiki torch like, to do this come it's, on it's, it's, <laughs> i forgot to mention
0: that he's got a tiki torch
1: <laughs> but like yeah you know you, you can tell the movie is has a very low budget and they're using what they've got. But it's not really a detriment because it is a Puppet Master sequel.
0: Yeah, and, and they spent the money in the right ways. The zombie gore. Oh, it looks We great. only get a few scenes of it. It looks amazing.
1: Yeah, and, and there's even that one zombie that blew his brains out, right?
0: Yeah, you know, amazing. It, it's awesome. This one didn't quite have the... I mean, you get the fun stunt where the guy um loses 100 pounds as he gets thrown through the window <laughs> and grows hair yeah and grows hair and so, the benjamin button falls to the death <laughs> that's great but like this doesn't have the stunts that puppet master 2 had overall i mean maybe puppet master 2 I- i'm a sucker for a good fire stunt and that was all over puppet master 2 torch at the yeah. end of the day is my favorite it's because fire stunts are some of the coolest things ever. Just ask Richard Lynch.
1: <laughs> well, you know. It's
0: uh, <laughs> 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 oh no! But again, it, there's a, there's, a good, there's a reason they left it out. Yeah.
1: Going back to Tulan as a character, I liked how he played old man kindly Geppetto Tulan, but sure, you kind of miss that Tulan character from Puppet Master Two. I wanted to be kind of. Crazy. I'm not sure I do. Oh, I like. I'm that not kind sure of I do. I'm, I'm.
0: See, I'm. He's replaced by Kraus you're right yeah he's just evil nazi guy and that's that's a wonderful villain it doesn't have to be super well developed or anything because you're naturally inclined to not like nazis when you see them on screen he doesn't have to cut off someone's ear and make someone eat it for you to hate him
1: well that's why indiana jones worked so well right exactly yeah there's it's a just clear like, definition it's... between the good guys and the bad guys
0: <laughs> absolutely it's the reason the nazi zombie games uh exists it's I, there was like a whoever designed those i think his whole idea extended from a joke there's two types of people that no one will ever be upset with you killing nazis and zombies and he's like <laughs> well hey we can do them both like <laughs> uh... yeah it's just instant like you're gonna root against them and then I, i i think when you have a real professional actor you know character actor though he is richard lynch is a talented guy like he he does elevate that character he doesn't like he he makes the most of of that of that role
1: patrick if you were to ask me which of our two movies had a better villain i would pick puppet master oh easily Let's just skip there. I liked Puppet Master more than Django. I think Django's a really neat, interesting movie with a cool Django theme song and definitely cool scenes. But overall, I think Puppet Master had a better villain. It was a better revenge story. (laughs) While both movies had like a lot of gore, I think Puppet Master's was fun but like they did gore in a really interesting way, you know? Django the gore was interesting but it was also just so off-putting, right? Like and I mean that that's that's also a plus for both movies. But also Toulon as a character in Puppet Master, he he had like the perfect story, right? Whereas like with Django we were complaining that we had too much of a character almost. You know, whereas with Toulon you have a guy who makes puppets, his wife gets killed by a Nazi, he wants revenge against the Nazi. That's it right? That's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. It's all there. It's perfect. Yeah, it's just like a a great little <laughs> revenge movie, and it's somehow a better revenge movie than Django, in my opinion. But what did you think about uh, uh, both movies? Which one do you think is, uh, is better, or which one do you like more?
0: I think it's a virtual tie.
1: I can understand, yeah.
0: I am going Puppet Master 3, three just because i found the ending more satisfying both movies have great endings where the villain finally gets what he deserves i just felt more satisfied seeing kraus die than seeing <laughs> all those dudes get killed at the cemetery i mean i guess again this goes back to your question you know who's or not even a question that your statement that kraus is a better villain you know that pup Master is a better villain and i i i have to say i agree that shouldn't be the only thing that I measure these movies on, but when they're as close as they are for me, where I, I enjoyed both movies a good deal, I think, yeah, I I'm gonna have to choose something really stupid and, and specific to judge them on, and in this case it's Puppet Master Three, because nothing in Django was as awesome as seeing Krauss get killed in a horrific and creative way. And 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 also I mean, if we have to go there, Michelle Bauer's not in Django
1: yeah that that is <laughs> that is i true. mean
0: if we have to go you know we just had monique gabrielle a few weeks ago so i didn't want to pull that card but michelle bauer is amazing too for me she's probably my number three or four b movie actress that's mostly just known for taking her top off in almost every movie <laughs> she's in monique and elizabeth caton are one and two or one a one b michelle <laughs> bauer is two a two b with uh or Linnea Quigley, I think those are the, with those are two next with two
1: double Ds. By the way, <laughs> yeah, you haven't
0: made that joke before. <laughs> I think I've started cutting those, so maybe maybe, maybe doing Elister. Yeah, you we'll haven't have made those jokes before. <laughs> just just in gen in in general at this point. Props to the Puppet Master series. I mean, we gave it a hard time for the continuity, but what's the number one complaint against sequels? It's the same movie over and over again. Mm. These three movies couldn't be more are, different <laughs> are wildly different in terms of the stories that they tell almost to the point of being in well, beyond the point of being inconsistent. That's true, <laughs> but they're all unique and they're all interesting and, and, and you know, you, you don't feel like you've seen these three movies until you've seen all three of them. You, you know, it's like as much as I like the Friday the 13th movies, that'll always be my go to you see the first one or two and you've pretty much seen the entire series sure some are better than others but the series doesn't have a whole lot to do or say honestly Mm -hmm. not that this series has a lot to say but at least at this point the first three movies it has a lot to do
1: yeah exactly i agree with you
0: so how jim do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature
1: you know, although there are a fair amount of similarities, I guess you could draw between them. I don't think it stacks up. The problem is I don't think Puppet Master would go with anything really, unless it was like super schlocky and, and B-movie-y. And Django is just too depressing and Italian <laughs> to go See, with all stuff.
0: If you'll allow me, with the exception of the Italian part, and, and at certain points in my life I might say Italian and depressing are synonymous but (laughs) i'll say that that's what i like about them going together because Django is so dark and it's so cynical and then puppet master 3 sure it's got nazis and it's you know it's at a surface level it's dark but really it's just a dumb silly puppet master movie with all these fun effects of these puppets going around Killing Nazis—that it's like, oh, this is actually really fun—and then you you get the added bonus of both movies you're seeing terrible people, people who deserve to got die getting killed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even though it, it's a little weird that even though Puppet Master Three deals with Nazis, somehow Django deals with race. Yeah, more I than know. Puppet they Master Three, with other it's Nazis. like there's. <laughs> There's one reference to Jews in all of Puppet Master 3. I thought that was kind of strange, but whatever. You know, that's just the movie that they made. You know, you know, it's it's like we obviously go into any movie about Nazis being like, oh, yeah, we know. We know who Nazis are. We, like, you we don't need to tell us a whole lot about them to make us want to see them get killed. And and then, you know, so I think both movies kind of have that with their char- characters you really want to see. I get it in some kind of horrific ways and violent ways and satisfying ways. Django a little bit more heroic, I would say, than Puppet Master 3. Django as a character and then just also Kraus getting killed is amazing. But Django being able to fire his gun despite not having functioning hands, that's more like a holy shit that man did it. He pulled it off. Like it's just this heroic moment. Nothing like that in Puppet Master 3, but that's fine. They're different movies and... They I think they go well together because they're different. But I also think that the Puppet Master 3 just being this good, dumb, silly fun after a movie that's entertaining, but it is bleak and kind of miserable in some ways, too.
1: I was going to say Django is like a journey and Puppet Master is like an amusement park ride. Django is the standing in line for the for the amusement park ride. But but I but I agree. But like I understand where you're coming from. And I, I, I do somewhat agree with you. So, I mean, I could really go either way, but I'm going to just say no (laughs) for this.
0: Well, there you have it, folks. A half-assed answer from Jim once again. Always. And perhaps we'll get the same next time when we do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper's 1974 classic, and the 1959 film The Giant Gila Monster. Is it Gila or Gila?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I, let's- I
0: will always say Gila because it, to me, it's kind of like Gila might be right, but that sounds kind of like when someone says Cuba instead of Cuba. It sounds like they're just trying too hard to be <laughs> yes. technically right. Yes, <laughs> where it's like I will. It's it's Gila till I die for me with those. <laughs> Until then, be sure to check out our Patreon because in a, in a few weeks or in a few episodes, we are going to be doing an episode where our guests pick the movies that we do so check out our patreon for the chance to vote on that that'll be fun and jim thanks for joining me and i hope to catch you next time as well as you the audience the listeners take it easy